Well, we're beginning a new series today, and I call it Dare to Dream. Dare to Dream. Uh, it's just a two-part series this week and next week, and uh, I'm excited about this series. I've been scrambling this past week because God gave me this concept and this title of Dare to Dream, and you know, I said, well, okay, Lord, thanks. That's great. Uh, that's a great concept. That's a great title. Now what goes with it? <laughs> What, you know, what do you want to share with us? And so uh, he's just all, all week I've, I've got started going one way and God would stop me and then I'd start going another way uh, all the way up until last night. You know, God had me, you know, jotting down stuff. So it's truly not a word for me, but a word from the Lord this morning. Amen. Series is called Dare to Dream. And today's message is called Obstacles to the Dream. Obstacles to the Dream. Have you ever been maybe at your desk uh, at work or maybe you work behind a counter or doing some manual labor or maybe even at home sitting on the couch looking out the window and all of a sudden you find yourself floating off and daydreaming about some things and then uh, what seems like just moments later you come back to yourself and you find that you had been gone actually for you know minutes and you know and maybe a half an hour and you think where did I go (laughs) And you've just been dreaming. Uh, We call those daydreams. But sometimes that just, you know, makes you happy about what you contemplate and what you think about. And then you tell yourself, okay, well, that's fine to dream. But, you know, back to life. Back to reality. Well, my question, I believe God is asking me and, and I am, he through me is asking you this morning is, what prevents you from accomplishing your dreams? Now, this this morning has nothing to do with age, color, race, gender. Uh, You can't, we cannot use an excuse, well, I'm this age. I'm too young or I'm too old or, you know, I'm a man or a woman or I'm this color or I'm bald. You know, we can't use those excuses. I guess only one of us may use that excuse, but uh, we can't use those excuses. But what other things would keep you from accomplishing your dream? Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Now, I want to say something about that. Usually, I like to make some corny joke about, you know, if we're turning to Matthew, that's 400 years after Malachi, you know, or, uh, you know, if we're going to 1 John, it's toward the end of your Bible. I just want to tell you, if you don't know where Genesis is, then we need some, need some remedial training. I know what we have to do our first Wednesday <laughs> is remedial Bible training. No, I shouldn't say that. Somebody may not know where Genesis. Page one. Page one of the Bible. That's where we're going this morning to start off with. Amen. Genesis chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning, God, right from the start. Sounds like a story. You know, he once upon a time, only this story starts right at the beginning. And it says, in the beginning, God, God was there in the beginning says he created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Verse 3 says, Then God said, Let there be light. And guess what? There was light. 
And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Boy, I tell you a side note, should have really preached that on Easter. The evening and the morning were the first day. So really at night, right, and then the morning came, that was the first day. But that's for another time. How many know that God had a dream? God had a vision in his mind. And I imagine that God being the almighty God, the all-sufficient, omniscient, omnipresent one, wouldn't have to do anything to make something come to pass. I would imagine that God could just think a thought and it would just be there. But when I read this passage of scripture, that's not what happened. I imagine that God had a thought, a dream in his mind about a heaven and an earth and light. But the Bible says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Here's a question for you. Is there anything that could have kept God from realizing his dream? Now, I imagine there are probably things going through your mind, probably a lot of, well, no, probably, well, maybe if he wouldn't have spoke it, you know, a lot of things go through your mind. Probably mostly no, it would be your answer. I don't know. But it's a good question. Is there anything that could keep God from realizing his dream? Here's a better question for you this morning. Is there, is God in you? There's a scripture in Corinthians that says, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you. So here's the question this morning. Is there anything that should keep you from realizing your dream? What would keep you from realizing your dream? I mean, if God is unstoppable, if God can have a dream, speak it and it happens, that same God, that same spirit, now dwells in you, what then keeps you from realizing your dream? Well, let's talk about that this morning. First, let's define what I'm talking about as a dream. There's all different types of dreams. I mean, there are natural dreams, right? A sleeper sees a connected series of images when he or she goes to sleep. And we don't know where sometimes those come from. I mean, it could be a movie that you saw that day or maybe what you had for dinner or whatever it is, you know, a conversation. And then all of a sudden you dream a little bit that night. There are spiritual dreams. These are dreams that a sleeper, when a sleeper receives communication to their spirit from the Holy Spirit. Okay, God speaks to you like he did to Samuel. Samuel, wake up. God is speaking. Then there are vision dreams. A believer begins to see a vision that God is revealing to their heart. God may use a variety of means to do this. Maybe prophecy, maybe a spiritual encounter, or maybe a visual experience that's spiritual in nature. But what happens with these types of dreams are you begin to see. You begin to see. So let's define what I'm talking about as a dream this morning. A dream is simply this. It is a God-inspired, 
visionary state of mind marked by creation of the imagination unobtainable by passivity. Now I'll say that again this morning so that can sink in because really it's a bunch of words and a couple of them may may be big words, but we need to understand what that means. It's a God-inspired visionary state. In other words, you're able to see So we just define the God vision. And it's marked by creation of the imagination. What thoughts do you have in your mind? And it's unobtainable by passivity. In other words, the dream that I'm talking about is not the one where you're just sitting at home and you receive a phone call and someone says, hey, I have something for you. And you say, oh, I realized my dream. That's not the dream I'm talking about. That just comes to you. I'm talking about a God dream that you cannot obtain by sitting on the couch. Come on. But to obtain this dream, you've got to be able to see, to begin to perceive the meaning or the importance of the God thought coming to your heart. In other words, you take it seriously. But when you have a dream like this, You're sitting and you're thinking, if that were me, I would do this, or I would do it that way. There are obstacles that immediately come in, because your enemy does not want you to be able to obtain the dream that God has placed in your heart. And I want to tell you something else about a God dream. A God dream is not something that you can just automatically, naturally do on your own, separate from God. I mean, maybe you're a good basketball player, or maybe you're a good gardener. You can you can garden real well. Or, you know, maybe you're a musician who where things just come naturally to you. Well, you can't say, uh, well, I'm going to pick up my bass and play a C scale. Well, I've attained my dream. No, that's just a gift you have. You can do that naturally. The dream I'm talking about is something that's far out there. And when you reach like this, you just can't grasp it. The God dream. I'm talking about the dream where when you tell others about it, they say, man, you must be crazy. You can't do that. That's the dream I'm talking about this morning. But what would keep you from accomplishing that dream? Well, very briefly today, I want to talk about four things that are obstacles to accomplishing our dream. Four obstacles to accomplishing the dream. The first one, and probably the most obvious to me, is unbelief. Really, unbelief. How many sermons have you heard on faith and unbelief, right? But this is a huge obstacle to us not accomplishing the dreams that we have. Why should you not accomplish your dream? Why should you not? You think it's for someone else? Well, that's for them. They, you know, I mean, I'm not that way. You know, I grew up on this side of the trail. We have all kind of excuses as to why we can't accomplish our dreams. Well, let's look at some scriptures this morning. Look at these scriptures with me, if you would. Turn to Matthew chapter 17. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this thing. Matthew chapter 17, unbelief is so huge in us accomplishing anything in life, much less our dreams. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 19 says this, 
Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? They were trying to cast a spirit out of a, a, a young boy. Jesus said to them, Because, because of your, of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. That sounds familiar to me. In Genesis, we just read where God had a thought. He said, and it happened. Now Jesus is saying, if you will have a thought, if you will say, it will happen. Little connection here. Move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. Nothing is impossible. All right. Let's turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy right in chapter 1. This is a letter Paul wrote to Timothy. Right after Thessalonians. Let's look at chapter 1 verse 12. Now, I want you to pay attention to this one. Verse 12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. Mm -hmm. Because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although, now listen, listen now. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Said he was an insolent man. That just means he was rebellious. He was rude and arrogant. Can you imagine that? Timothy was rude, arrogant, and he showed a lack of respect. <laughs> but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now just put that, make that a marker in your mind there. What Timothy was and why he was that way. All right. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. A few pages over. Book of Hebrews. Chapter number 3. Look at verse, starting at verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. The writer warns this. Says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin here it's interesting to me that he correlates sin with unbelief he correlates an evil heart with unbelief stay in Hebrews chapter 3 go down to verse 18 now, God is talking to the people about entering into his rest. It says in verse 18, and to whom he did, and whom did he swear that to those who did not obey, so we see that they could not enter in because of? They could not enter in because of? Unbelief. They could not enter into the rest of God because of unbelief. Now, there's four things that unbelief actually does for you. <laughs> Number one, unbelief 
stifles your effort. You know what that word stifle means? I mean, it just, it stifles your effort. In Matthew 17, we read the disciples could not cast out the demon even though they were empowered. Even though they had seen it done before. They walked with Jesus when he cast out demons, yet they could not do it. Even though others expected them to do it. The man brought his son to the disciples expecting them to do it. He didn't bring his son to the disciples saying, well, maybe they might be. He'd seen it done before. The disciples had seen it done before. The disciples knew they were empowered, yet they could not do it. What keeps you from accomplishing your dreams? Here it was because of unbelief. It stifles every effort you try to make. You know, one of the things I noticed, I was watching a little bit of basketball yesterday and uh, watching the Pacers, sorry, Pastor, the Knicks, the next year, Phil Jackson. All right. <laughs> I was watching a little bit of the Pacers yesterday and a couple other games. There's something I noticed when I was watching some of those games. And I've also noticed it when I've gone to some of Nia's performances. I've noticed that the guys that come out and have a lot of confidence, right? I mean, they come out and they're not afraid to take the shot. They're not afraid to drive to the hoop. You know, they come out and they, they, they're confident in their abilities. And they actually go for it. Those guys perform so much better. I've noticed it in uh, musicians. I've noticed it in singers. When they come out confident, sure of themselves. I know that there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance sometimes. You know, my wife and I were talking about that the other day. But when you have a God-given talent and you come out knowing that God gave you this and I'm confident that he'll work through me, it comes across so much better, doesn't it? And those performers perform so much better. Better. Likewise, I've noticed those that come out that are so timid, <laughs> Roy Hibbert, <coughs> uh, that are timid, and they're maybe afraid a little bit. They always want to pass the ball to somebody else. You do it. You know, they're not really good to the team. Well, I want to say that that is also true for us Christians. When we come out and we're confident of what God is doing through us, when we're confident that God has placed these gifts and these talents in us, we're doing it for him, not that we would be exalted, right? What Paul told the Romans, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But knowing that God is working through us and we come out with confidence, we're of a benefit to the body of Christ. And we're of a benefit to ourselves and to our families. We must be confident in the very thing that God put in us. But if we're timid, listen, if we're timid and we shrink back, do you realize that we actually hurt the body of Christ? We're actually a liability to our family, to ourselves, and to God. Another thing that unbelief does for you is it causes you to act contrary to his word. When you don't believe, you do other things that are contrary to God's word. Remember in Timothy, Timothy said, I was a blasphemer. I was a 
persecutor. I was an insolent man. I was rude and I was arrogant. I had a lack of respect. I was all of those things. But God had mercy on me because all of those things were done in unbelief. That's what the Bible says. When you walk in unbelief, you will automatically fall into some of these things, even though you don't want to. It just draws you there. Remember in Revelation where the Lord said, I would would that you be hot or cold. But I can't stand it when you're lukewarm. This is God speaking. When you're shaky, well, I just don't. uh, You ever met people like that? Look, is it yes or no? Do it or don't. Be convicted. Make a decision. If you're wrong, we'll figure it out. But do something. Right? We like our leaders to be that way. Well, I just don't know if I should. Maybe not. Or, you know, what do you think? Well, I don't know. You're the leader. What do you think? (laughs) Let me lead. I'll make a decision. But it causes us to do things that are contrary to God's word. And here's the thing. When you're lukewarm, you're like a boat out there floating on the water. And you drift. Hebrews talks about beware of the drift. And then the other thing that unbelief does for you is it keeps you from peace. Oh yeah, it keeps you from peace. Hebrews 3 verses 12 and in verses 19, God's people could not, could not, says they could not enter into his rest. They couldn't do it. You know what I consider the rest of God is when you are fulfilling your purpose. When you are fulfilling your purpose, you are walking in the rest of God. See, the rest of God is not uh, necessarily just sitting back on the beach with your feet up and that, you know, fruit juice with the umbrella in it, watching the waves go by. I mean, that could be part of it. We could do that sometimes. But think about this. You ever been in this situation where you're doing exactly what you know you're supposed to be doing? You're confident. You're successful at it. You're walking in that thing. Doesn't that just make you feel great with that confidence? This is the rest of God, the rest of God. This is entering into his rest, entering into his God-given purpose that you are fulfilling for your life. There is nothing, saints, like understanding what your purpose is in life and then going after it. Someone said this, the two greatest moments, and I believe this for myself, the two greatest moments of my life were the day that I was born and the day that I understood why. The day that you understand why you are here Where do I fit in? What is my purpose? It's such a great revelation. I want to tell you something. I want to confess something to you this morning. I absolutely, absolutely love, love, love what I am doing. I don't mean that in any kind of arrogance or we were talking about this the other night at dinner. Uh, You know, sometimes I wonder why people even listen to me. But I tell you what, I love it. 
I love it. I love the Word of God. I love preaching the Word of God or teaching the Word of God. I love uh, being in it. And I want to tell you, I'm not where I need to be in this thing. I'll be transparent and tell you that. Uh, A long way to go. All right? A long way to go. But I absolutely love this thing. Because what I found out is when you apply the Word of God to your life, you will not be in lack. And I don't mean just financially. That's a small part of it. That's the base right there. But I'm talking about lack financially. I'm talking about lack in relationships, lack in my relationship with my wife, lack in my relationship with my kids, right? Lack in fulfilling my destiny and my purpose, lack in joy and happiness. If you follow this thing, you will, there will no wise be any lack in you. Read it. And I love it. I mean, I love it. I was going to say almost as much as I love apple pie. I love it better than apple pie. Somebody ate my apple pie, by the way. That's okay. It's probably better for me. Yeah, I had some apple pie from Easter, but I think Nia ate it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm thinking about apple pie now. (laughs) just not in peace. See, I need to enter into the rest of God. <laughs> there are some, some, some words that, are, that, that, that befall us that are the opposite of peace. Let me tell you some things that happen when, you're, when you don't have peace and when you're not in the rest of God. You fall into discontent. How about turmoil? Anybody like being in turmoil? Yeah, I shouldn't see any hands raised there. What about disagreement or hate? You found this, Jody, when people come in, they're not in peace and all these things. Discord, agitation, disharmony. You find yourself in distress. In other words, you're worried about everything. Oh, my goodness. Fighting. What about frustration? Anybody ever been frustrated? I hear all those sinister laughs. Yeah. I know I've been frustrated. Upset. You worry. Seems like you're just at war with everybody, including yourself sometimes. Irritated. Noise. You can't block out the noise. Conflict and uproar. Just commotion all around you. These are the things that are opposite of peace. God would that you walk in peace. And I'll tell you what, unbelief keeps you out of peace. When you don't believe God's word that he has placed in your life and the word spoken over you and just simply even his written word, you'll find yourself with all of these other words. (laughs) Unbelief. Second thing is negative influences. Oh boy, we could talk about this one forever. What keeps you from accomplishing your dream? Parents, society, peers tell us it is impossible to have what we really want. This is probably the first and biggest obstacle, actually. If you can't believe you can have what you want or at least let yourself dream it, then you certainly won't have it. You'll never make the shot if you don't take it. You won't hit the ball if you don't swing. 
You'll never get the job if you don't fill out the application. I can guarantee you it won't happen. Come on. If you can't believe it, you can't dream it, you will not pursue it. It's a great, brilliant uh, Brazilian lyricist, very brilliant. And he's a novelist. His name is Paulo Coelho. And he said this, came across this quote. He said, we learn from childhood onward that everything we want to do is impossible. There comes a time when our personal calling is so deeply buried in our souls as to be invisible. People tell you that it's crazy what you're thinking about and what you want to do. When they tell you that over and over, it then becomes embedded in your spirit so deep that you don't even know it's there anymore. You've forgotten what your purpose is because people tell you you can't do it. You have a bunch of negative influences and some of those influences we've chosen to be around. We've chosen some of the friends in our life. Come on. We've chosen to stay in certain situations that we know we shouldn't be in. And when you do that, it clouds your real purpose. Well, I came across that and I thought, how true is that? What a great quote. Can I quote somebody else for you, though? I want to quote somebody else that I think is very great. This, this one said this. Said, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I'd rather go by that quote. And I want to tell you something. We started off with it in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So God had this quote for you before you were even here. Any of us were here. Say, I know the thoughts I have toward you. They're for a future and for a hope. That's what God has for us. Before anyone else could speak into your life, before your parents could tell you who you were and where you came from, before your teachers could tell you about history and the future, before society, ethnicity, pedigree, your environment, come on, before your friends, before your enemies could tell you what you can and cannot do, God already spoke to you. He already spoke to you. And so for me, others can tell me all that they want to tell me. But I'm going back to the original quote. That God has a plan for my life. And it is good and not evil. And it is for our future and for our hope. What keeps you from accomplishing your dreams? Come on, we're bringing down some walls this morning. We're removing some obstacles today of what's going to keep us from accomplishing our dreams and our hopes. A future hope or desire is that thing that lives in your heart. I heard Miles Monroe say one time, he was talking about purpose and he said, you know, if you've ever been you know, somewhere and you just find yourself drifting off, thinking about, uh, you know, yourself doing something else. Maybe you're dreaming and you thought about starting a business or you saw yourself in, in some great band or making CDs or, you know, whatever it is that you dream about. He said, you better be careful because that just might be your purpose in life. 
while you're sitting here doing data entry at the computer and dreaming about this other thing. And you say, oh, I, yeah, but I can't do that. That's for them. You know, that's Sandy Patty or Fred Hammond or this person or that person. I could never do that. I could never do that. I don't believe God ever said that. I believe he said he has a future and a hope. I believe he said that there shall be nothing impossible to you. That's what God said. And so when you have negative influences, those things crush you. But a hope is a picture of the future that puts fire in your heart. You ever had anything like that? And it saturates your soul to accomplish that. We need a faith to see what could be. Now think about this. If there were no restrictions. You want to start that business? What could happen if there were no restrictions? Could you do it then? Well, God is saying to you this morning that I will bring down the walls. I will bring down the obstacles if you follow me and follow my plan. Now what's your excuse? What the Lord is telling us this morning. We need to believe in his word, saints. The third thing that will keep us from accomplishing our dreams is simply fear. We're just afraid of the unknown. We just don't know. And so we're afraid to take that step. We're afraid to take the shot. We're afraid to swing. We're afraid to make the call. We're afraid to fill out the application. We're afraid to take that next step. Maybe you're like Sister Jeannie and you sat there at your desk or on your couch and you thought, boy, God has given me so much in here, so much to write down. And you just begin writing and all of a sudden you got a book. And maybe others said, why would you write a book? That's for, that's for writers. That's for, you know, those accomplished people who went to school. That's for journalism majors and all of that. But no, God put that dream in your heart. And it came to pass. There are some things that fear will do for you. He just wanted to get to the altar. See, start early. Start early. <laughs> right. <laughs> There are a couple of things that fear does to you. Number one, it crushes your spirit, saints. We don't even realize it, but it does. Fear will cripple you and cause you not to move forward. I used to have a friend that was absolutely scared of spiders. Now, I don't consider myself scared of spiders, but I will tear up the house to kill one. You know, I just don't like them. <laughs> I used to have a friend that was scared of spiders. We were little. We actually had a little business. You know, it was a, our, our own lawn care business, Mike and Will's Lawn Care. You know, we were only 12 and 13, but we'd go around the neighborhood cutting grass and raking leaves. And one day we were at this house, and he was sitting there on the porch, and we were taking a break, and all of a sudden a spider started coming toward him. Actually, it was Daddy Long Legs. I don't think that's officially a spider, but uh, it, it was coming to it had eight legs. And it was coming toward him. And I, I was looking at him. And I knew Will was scared of spiders. So normally, I would have just gone over and stepped on the spider because I knew he was scared of them. But this time, I didn't do that. I was being a little mischievous. I said, I wonder what Will's going to do, this spider. So being the good friend that I am, I said, hey, Will, a spider's about to get on you. <laughs> That's a good friend right there, isn't it, Jeff? 
And I thought I was in, I thought I was in for one of the greatest laughs that I had ever had. You know, I thought he was going to jump up, throw his water and run. He didn't. He froze. And the spider got closer and closer. Then all of a sudden, it got on his shoe. And I heard him making noises. I couldn't understand what he was saying. I thought he was going to have a heart attack or a seizure. So, being the good friend that I am, I went over to him and I crushed the spider. Now, it happened to be on his shoe. Then he screamed. (laughs) But he, he froze. I mean, he was so afraid that he could not move. You see, this is what fear does to us. It immobilizes you. It keeps you in the same spot. You don't want to move. Listen to Exodus 15, 15 and 16. It says this, Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. God is telling his people. It says, The mighty men of Moab, trembling will, take, trembling will take hold of them. In other words, the trembling will grab them. Okay? All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. What are they saying? They're saying that God is going to put such fear in them until we're going to walk right by them. And they got their swords and all their weapons, and they can't even do anything because fear has immobilized them. This is what fear will do, do to you. It will absolutely immobilize you. But God gives us every reason not to fear, saints. We do the possible, he does the impossible, and we accomplish our dreams. We all know Timothy, in Timothy where Paul told him God has not given you a spirit of fear, right? But of what? Love. Sound mind. Power love and a sound mind. Replace one spirit with three. Right? Listen to Second Chronicles chapter 20. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's you this morning. I just want to let you know. And you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, to you this morning. God is speaking to you and me. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, because the battle is not yours, but God's. And he tells them tomorrow, go up against them. They surely will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeru. You will not need to fight this battle, God is telling you. Position yourselves. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. Who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem? Do not fear nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. I'm telling you this morning that there are things that are unreachable, but God has put them in your mind. He has put them in your spirit. Don't look with your eyes and say, I can't reach this. Listen to what God is telling you. Do not be afraid. Go out and fight this battle. You will see my salvation. You will accomplish this. First John five fourteen says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, 
anything according to his will, he hears us. But it doesn't stop there. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. Now, some would say it just seems too good to be true. You're, you're talking about name it and claim it, and you're just talking about, you know, all of those things. No, I'm just talking about the Word of God. I don't know about name it and claim it or any other doctrine. All I can do is go by what He said. That's all I can do. That if I ask anything according to His will, anything according to His will, He will grant it. That's all I can go by, saints. Why then do we go by so many other things? Why do we let our own knowledge come into play? Why do we let our own experiences come into play? Why do we let those negative influences and fear and unbelief come into play? 2 Timothy 1, 7. God's Spirit. Now listen. This is out of the CEV. Common English version says, God's Spirit doesn't make cowards. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? God's spirit doesn't make cowards. Doesn't make cowards out of us. The spirit gives us power, gives us love, and it gives us self-control. God doesn't make cowards, saints. And I'm telling you this morning that you're not a coward. And those that are acting like it, stop acting like what you're not. Come on, I had to look in the mirror and say that. I had to look in the mirror and say, stop acting like a coward because you're not. God doesn't make cowards. You're valuable. You are special. And you can accomplish anything you put your hand to. If you don't allow these obstacles to slow you down, don't look back. Because the Bible says a man with his hand to the plow, looking backward, is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Put your hand to the plow and look forward and keep on going. You can do it. The fourth thing that stops us is a... Now, I'm going to step on some toes here, including mine. Fourth and last thing for today is failure to finish. (laughs) Shaking your head, Mike. You all right? I know. Stepped on me too. Failure to finish. Failure to finish. Start and don't finish. You know what I do? I start a book. I say, man, this book is good. You know, Pastor Phil told me about this book, gave his book to me to read. I start doing it. One chapter, two chapters, Sister Beverly. Then all of a sudden, somebody else said, oh, you need to read this other book about the Wiki Church. I said, oh, okay. I need to read this book. Oh, man, this book is good. Woo, this book is good. Get about two chapters into that. Somebody else says, you need to read this other book about Simple Church. Oh, my goodness. I just can't believe how good this book, oh, it looks so good. Next thing I know, I've got about five books started, none of them read. (laughs) Well, I say it's a failure to finish. (laughs) Here's what a finisher is. A finisher is one who overcomes all that is necessary to finish the dream. When you set out, you say, I'm not going to stop till I get there. There may be obstacles. There may be things that are thrown in my way, but guess what? I may even fall down a few times, but I'm going to get there. I'm determined. Romans 4.21 says, And being fully convinced 
that what he had promised he also was able to perform. Be convinced of it in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind. Because if you're convinced of it, you won't stop. And it don't stop. Keep on going. Let nothing get in your way. Because this is God's will for your life. Only thing that can stop you is you. A finisher is one who comes to completion. Ends the course. Now listen. Successfully. Well God. If God is in it. It's going to be successful. Now you might not deem it as successful. But if God is in it. I'm telling you. It's going to be successful. One who comes to a completion. Don't stop if it's not over. A course. You stay the course and you end it successfully. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. When I was in the army, uh, I, I went to basic training. You know, I never should have got into basic training. Never should have got into the army. Because there are two big things that at this time the army uh, frowned upon. That was flat feet and asthma. If you had any kind of, you know, uh, things like that where you had to take medication for and that type of thing. And guess what? At that time I had both. But somehow, when I went to do all the tests, you know, with the other boys that were in there, we did all the tests that they require you to do, passed every test. Even with my asthma, they had you run a little bit. I was struggling, but I made it. And I was thinking, boy, they're not going to let me in because they're going to see me breathing hard. And they put me right on in. And we got in, got there, basic training, started doing physical training, getting up early in the morning, doing all these things that I really wish I could get back to, and uh, running and, you know, lifting weights, push-ups, all this kind of stuff, sit-ups. Well, I tell you what, I did 82 push-ups in two minutes and 103 sit-ups in two minutes, Keith. Yeah, it was sweet back then. (laughs) (laughs) But I tell you what, but running, boy, because I had, you know, at that time, asthma, bronchial asthma. And there were a couple of days we ran, we had to run six miles. And see, in the Army, you don't just run, you sing, right, Eldon? You know, you run up in the morning with the rising sun, but you got to repeat it. And don't get called to be the singer. Everybody had to take turns singing or doing something, making noise, and everybody repeated, right? Actually, we had a a singing class before uh, we actually went to our platoons. They actually went over all these songs with us, and you'd have to run and sing. And this one, the first time we ran six miles, I was like, oh, Lord, dear Jesus, what in the world? Why did I sign up for the army? You fool. (laughs) That was not smart. So we got to about a mile, and I'm telling you, man, I felt like my chest was on fire, and uh, I just wasn't going to make it. I said, well, what I'd rather do right now is just die. I mean, it's, it's okay. Just, you know, and I, I, I just gotten saved. Just gotten saved, you know. I said, I just, just, I should just be better just to die. I mean, I've been saved a year. I've seen, you know, it's, it's good. Just let me die. <laughs> but God didn't let me die. <laughs> But guess what? I've heard this thing before, and it's always been a mystery to me about a second wind. I said, what the second wind? That's not, what does that mean, second wind? You're just tired. 
get a second wind. We got to about two and a half miles, and all of a sudden, I started feeling better. I'm telling you, I was like, oh, I can breathe. Either I'm dead, (laughs) or I got my second wind. This is what God is telling us this morning. Keep on going. If you're tired, if you feel like you're at the end of your rope, there's a second wind coming for you. There's a second wind coming. Come on. God's bringing a second wind to you. And the only thing that's going to stop you is your failure to finish. If you go sit down, he's imploring you this morning, don't go sit down. Wait for your second wind. It's coming. Keep going. I want to end with this story this morning. In 1870, my brother Matthew, the Methodists were having their annual conference right here in Indiana. The presiding bishop was asking a group for an interpretation of current events, okay? When the president of the college where the conference was held where it was held and he volunteered his input to what this guy was asking this bishop was asking he said I think we are living in a very exciting age I believe we are coming into a time where we will see wonderful inventions this is a true story he said I believe this is in 1870 he said we're going to fly through the air like birds Bishop Wright visibly disturbed by this scientifically based comment proclaimed this is heresy this is blasphemy I read in my Bible that flight is reserved for the angels we will not have such talk here in my area Bishop Wright then returned home to his two sons Orville and Wilbur You need to stand before the enemy and say, don't tell me what I can't do. Don't you tell me what I can't do because God is in me. Stand to your feet this morning.